here in the vestibule. It's way too early to be up. Damn that charming vintage digital clock by the bed. I forgot to change the time. So here I sit at 5.45 a.m., wishing it was 6.45 a.m. It really is 5.45 a.m. Daylight savings time is over. Maybe I should use the change as a boost to really start getting things done. There is so much to do, yet I find it hard to stay focused. Is it wrong to just want to enjoy life for a minute? Take this past weekend, for example. My friend Joyce was having her birthday in Connecticut, near New Haven, and I'd seen that Emma Swift was playing at Cafe 9 in New Haven the next day. Eric loves Joyce, and he wanted to see Emma too, so we marked out the time. Joyce, birthday dinner, Saturday evening. Cafe 9, Sunday afternoon matinee show. Eric and I are both self-employed artists. True, I have a part-time job at the local bookstore bar, but overall the work we do must all be generated at home by us, and so we work pretty much all the time, and that's fine. That's what we love, Eric in his studio and me upstairs in mine. Sometimes I go downstairs into his studio to work with him. I'm more secretive up in my room and usually shoo him away or look startled or ashamed when he breaches the threshold of my lair. I feel sure it has something to do with growing up in a house of five men, well, one dad and four brothers, who had the power to turn any of my lame endeavors or even decent efforts into cause for hilarity for the entire family. I live in fear of that kind of exposure, being made the laughing stock of the house, which might explain why I try and beat anyone to it by exposing myself first. So we work a lot and love it. But the weeks and months and years go by, and occasionally you need to take a break and do something just for fun. That's one reason having a small boat is good, because when you're down on the water, there's really nothing else you can do. This summer I had my dad to deal with, and Eric was in England, and then when he came back the boat was pretty waterlogged, and we just didn't get in the groove with it until it was time for them to pull up all the docks. Earlier this week we had to take Tin Machine out of the water. We had one last glorious ride, and now it's on a trailer by the side of the house until next spring. I committed to Joyce's dinner and bought tickets for Emma, so even though I felt a little under the weather with the cold that's going around, numerous COVID tests showed negative. We set out on the two-and-a-half-hour drive through stunning countryside. Leaves were just about all down here, but a little further south, they were still showing gold and russet on the trees. I had the feeling of holding back time, just a little. With the approach of Thanksgiving, there's a sense of everything speeding up and the new year is as good as here. Wait, I wanted to shout. Just let me finish this book. Play that show. Have those friends over for dinner. We need to replace the dishwasher. Clear leaves out of the gutters. Get more recording under our belts. That old feeling, work will still be there tomorrow, doesn't make much sense after a certain age. The future doesn't feel like a given anymore. We had a lovely dinner with Joyce and her boyfriend Jordan and some friends I met at one of Joyce's writing workshops in Guatemala. Jordan lives in a pretty enclave near the beach on the Long Island Sound. We all walked under a full moon to the water's edge after dinner. It may be the closest I ever get to being in a Nancy Myers movie. Joyce and Jordan played themselves. Eric was a roguish younger Anthony Hopkins, and I, of course, was Diane Keaton in a spotless cream-colored cashmere turtleneck. Only the weather has been so eerily warm. It was probably more a simple white cotton t-shirt. 
They were setting off for Guatemala very early the next morning and left us to spend the night, hang out, and lock up. So this is what it's like to be normal people on Sunday, I said to Eric. We leisurely made our way to a quaint Connecticut town and stood in line with locals to put in our brunch orders. Brunch! I don't think I'd even use the word in years, out of solidarity with my daughter, who used to work in restaurants. Then we strolled around a leafy square, looking in shop windows. I imagined this is what you'd do for fun if you hadn't spent many years of your life waking up in strange towns and grabbing coffee and food to get back on the road and do it again the next day in a different town. It felt cozy. Then we locked up and headed to New Haven. We'd gone light on the brunch because we knew we had to get pizza. Eric and I have both played at Cafe Nine, a great club in town, several times. It's often a matter of choking down a few slices in the dressing room before the show and then devouring the leftovers on the drive home. Here we were, like other folks, just lazing around on a Sunday. New Haven is, of course, the home of Yale University, but it's way too complex a place to qualify as a college town. It has wonderfully quaint architecture here and there, and also some brutal 70s efforts, all ensnared by the most insane web of interstates. 95 and 91 converge here for some reason, having to do with Connecticut weirdness and the compact nature of New England, I guess. And roads that make no sense and were probably started as tributes to England's cow paths back in the 1700s. We parked Eric's Buick in the Sally's parking lot, but the line was way too long. We weren't completely footloose as we needed to be at Cafe 9 by 4 p.m. for the gig. Tried Frank Pepe's down the block and the line was amazingly light. If you've never experienced New Haven pizza, it is a sort of religion. We'd seen a church crowd earlier that day, but the fervor in the congregation's eyes as they left the church was nothing compared to the looks of rapture seen through the windows of Frank Pepe's or the hushed reverence of the college boys lined up outside of Sally's. Our pies were all we'd hoped for, thin, crispy, slightly charred crust that doesn't wobble with the perfect ratio of toppings. Walking back to the Sally's car park, we were a little worried we'd neglected to move the car when we'd changed allegiances. I hid around a corner with the Telltale Peppies box while Eric retrieved the Buick. The people from the tail of the line when we'd changed course just now making it to the front door. The show at Cafe Nine was Emma Swift, whose album of Dylan covers called Blonde on the Tracks I've Loved Since It Came Out in the Early Days of the Pandemic. We were greeted so warmly by Paul, the owner of the club, Fernando, promoter of the show, Liz Gilhorn, who did a nice opening set, and practically every member of the audience who'd all seen us play separately or together at some point over the last 20 years. It was wonderful to feel so welcome. Now, if only they'd all come at the same time to one of our gigs here, which always feel a little like secret society meetings. But we always come back because it's such a good place. Emma had her partner, Robin Hitchcock, play a short set before he accompanied her on guitar. It was a stunning show. The audience was great, absolutely attentive. It was nice to see Robin, who Eric and I played with in Leicester at least a dozen years ago, and to meet Emma whose voice is even more perfect live, and she's just delightful. We used self-restraint to keep the leftover pizza in its box during the drive home. Had we played a show ourselves, there would have been no attempt to be civilized like that. The driveway was covered in leaves when we pulled in, glowing pale yellow on the blacktop. They really had all come down. 
I felt happy we'd taken a little trip out of town. I liked the beauty of Connecticut, the old New England-style houses and preponderance of strip mall Italian restaurants dotting their wacky road system. I was grateful to see friends and be transported by music, but I love home. I stumbled through the day after the clocks changed back, thinking it must be dinner time when it was only two in the afternoon. I don't think they should make daylight savings time a permanent thing as they're proposing to do. It's like trying to fight jet lag. Better to embrace the feeling of being disoriented. The two days, clocks forward, clocks back, are like a vestibule going in and out from winter to spring and summer, back out to fall and winter. Blink your eyes and collect yourself. Taking those bookends away might speed up what's happening anyway, 70-something degree days to rake leaves in. Maybe I just don't like change. Our beloved local cafe Hilo closed last week to be reopened by new owners who rumor has it come from Tony or Duchess County down the road. It's possible they're vegans. I should accept it, but we spent five years practically living in the place, knowing it was just down the hill for a coffee or to see our friends behind the counter. I wish there was a way to return to last week and have one more coffee at Hilo, like seeing leaves on the trees further south when ours up here are all gone. Two days later, I sit next to my dad's bed in the Actors Fund nursing home, Englewood, New Jersey. I dressed for my visit as if going to a job, trying to look neat and elegant, as that's always meant a lot to my father. Last visit, his only real communication was to tell me how much he loved my red leather jacket, that I looked like the cat's pajamas. I remember back to the chaos and distress of three months ago, when he was thrown out of memory care assisted living for aggressive behavior. Now he's in full-blown dementia. It was hard to see him raging, but seeing him just a shell, still well-dressed in khakis and L.L. Bean shirt, soft leather moccasins on his feet, is heartbreaking in a whole new way. Outside the window of his room, the afternoon sun filters through yellow leaves on tall trees. Autumn foliage is holding on here, just like in Connecticut. Having my dad not acknowledge or know me hurts, but it's inevitable and he's very old. What do they say? You don't really know what you've got till it's gone. I feel like I already went through it once with my mother, where post-car accident she didn't know me or couldn't express that she did. It's existential doubt on the deepest level. Without my parents, how do I exist? So I like every post my daughter puts up on Twitter or Instagram, sending silly exploding hearts or hands clapping. I see you, I'm saying, cheering on everything you do. Love, your mom. I'll miss Twitter if leaving becomes imperative. Maybe I'm wrong and we should do away with the time change. It can get dark here in the vestibule. Shadows are falling And I've been here all day Too hot to sleep Time is running away Feel like my soul has Turned into steel Still got the scars that 
the sun didn't heal There's not even room enough To be anywhere It's not dark yet sense of humanity has gone down the drain behind every beautiful thing there's been some kind of pain she wrote me a letter and she wrote it so It's not dark yet, but it's getting